Today's podcast is brought to you by Ryan, a leading global tax service and software provider that helps companies manage and minimize property taxes from acquisition to disposition and all points in between. As the firm with the most local market property tax professionals across the country, Ryan has experience in nearly every jurisdiction, unmatched by any other national, regional, or local provider. Welcome to WMRE's Common Area Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the award-winning editorial staff at WMRE. Let's jump right into this week's podcast. Hello and welcome to the Common Area with your host, David Bodemer. David, how are you today? I am. I'm doing well. I am partially vaccinated, so that's exciting. <laughs> Sorry, um, I just I just immediately thought of like uh, you know the vaccinations kids go through or puppies go through. I'm partially. I'm I've got some of my shot records here, and yeah. but you're talking about the COVID shots, so that's good. Yes, yes. So you know that's exciting. It's exciting to see. Um, um, signs of more signs of life. There are business you know, the parts of the Brooklyn that I'm in where a lot of shops that shut down suddenly new things are coming in again. So yeah. I don't know. It's, it's sort of things I know we're not out of the fully out of the woods yet, but it's, it's feeling better. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely signs of it's almost like the signs of spring, right? Because it, it's getting a little bit warmer. You know, things are things are happening, things are moving. And so I think that's happening on the same front with the this whole COVID issue and the vaccination. So it's it's kind of all coming together at the same time, which is nice. Uh, but for today, let's focus on one thing. You brought Carlos Rodriguez on the show today. Why did you bring Carlos on? So Carlos is the CEO of Driftwood Capital, and I brought him on to give us a perspective on what's going on with, you know, they have a kind of an interesting investment strategy. They're doing some interesting things with some new funds and just to get a sense of what's happening with the hotel space in general. So Carlos, welcome to the program. Hi, thank you. Thank you for having me. So I sort of did a very clumsy little intro there, but if you could just, you know, for folks that have not heard of your firm, could you just give us a little rundown of your background and what the company does? Sure. Driftwood Capital, basically, uh, the best way to understand it is like umbrella of companies and funds. And we're basically do everything with respect to hotels. We're vertically integrated. We have a sister company, Driftwood Hospitality Management, that is a management company. We manage hotels for not just our hotels, but also uh, hotels that we manage for third parties. Mm-hmm. Um, then we have several funds, Driftwood Lending, which is basically a lending fund. And we lend money, mezzanine lending at preferred equity to um, different hoteliers in, around the country. Then we have Driftwood Development Partners. And uh, that one is a fund that basically develops uh, hotels all across the country. We either develop it ourselves or in joint ventures with other groups. So, so we team up with people ar- around the country. Uh, in that one, actually, we have a huge project we're doing in Weston, uh, in Cocoa Beach. It's a $335 million project that we're developing there. We're also doing a hotel in San Diego, a hotel in Melbourne, and a hotel in uh, Wilmington, Delaware there at the present time. And then we have Driftwood Acquisitions. And in that one, we purchase hotels across the country, existing in the hotels that are operating. In that fund, in the last few months, we've bought three hotels and we're in the process of trying to buy more. So we lend, we build, we acquire, and uh, we manage uh, hotels as a Driftwood umbrella, let's put it that way. We're nationwide. 
We have over a little bit over as a as a group. We have a little bit over five thousand employees. We have over fifteen thousand rooms, and uh, it's it's been interesting times. That's for sure. Sure, it sure has. And so, yeah, I mean, so it's fair to say that you're all over the the capital stack when it comes to the hotels, and you're investing in stabilize. You're investing in development projects and and also are you are you do you do some distress also some distress so basically if someone's looking to get some invest like looking to invest in the hotel sector and they're looking at a different a bunch of different strategies chances are you're somewhere you've got something that they're going to be interested in correct yes actually part of the things that we do is once we buy a hotel we build a hotel we syndicate to investors so investors as small as $50,000, if they're interested in investing with us, you know, they can come in and, 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 and uh, invest. And basically, as you said, we have different strategies. So we have from value add propositions or value creation propositions to basically hotels that have stable cash flows and they're just cutting a check and, and getting a quarterly dividend. Given your position in the market, it, like you absolutely put it, it's been interesting times. It's exactly why I wanted to kind of, you know, talk to you. We've talked to uh, over the course of the year, we've talked to a couple of people in the hotel space, but it's been a few months. So it's good, you know, just to kind of get a, a, another check on what's happening in the industry, especially it seems like we're at this moment where the vaccinations are happening in, 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 I know from my perspective, it seems a lot faster than like, I think what people were talking about initially. And therefore, you know, hotels, which for a while were getting, you know, just beat up because people weren't traveling business, no no business travels, just a little bit of leisure travel, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, everyone was worried about the distress in the space. Now suddenly the outlook has, looks a bit different. So I'm kind of curious, you know, from your seat, how, what, what it's been like, you know, even maybe just in the past couple of months and how that may be affecting the way, you know, your, some of your strategies um, looking at the space right now? Yeah, my outlook um, has uh, frankly uh, changed uh, drastically in the last few months for the better. I mean, if you had asked me this question uh, a few months ago before the vaccines came out, I mean, the outlook was uh, looking pretty grim. With that said, uh, now with the vaccines and, and, and the effects that the vaccines are having on people and you know reaching herd immunity, Things are looking much better for the second half of this year, and things are looking like there's going to be a, a more rapid recovery than than people expected initially. It's interesting. I mean, it's always you can't generalize. I mean, right. there's there, there's different uh, sub markets within the country, and there's different types of hotels within the country. So, what I would say to you is, for example, anything to do with leisure travel, anything to do with resorts whether they are in a lake or in a mountain or on the beach, they're doing great. Actually, Mm -hmm. in some cases, they might even be doing already better than 2019. Obviously, that's the exception, but they're doing much better. I mean, they've improved very quickly and and they're ramping up very well. So anything to do with leisure, uh, resort, uh, I said, whether it's mountain, lake, uh, beach, those are, are doing very, very well here in the United States. Now, anything to do with group business, uh, big convention centers, they're not doing so well. And mm-hmm. quite frankly, they're going to be ramping up a lot slower than, than the resort types. And then there's the, the in-betweens. So 
you know, when you have extended stay hotels, those are performed better, uh, just like the, the resorts. But again, the big boxes, the convention centers, the business hotel, you know, those have been hurt more. And, you know, honestly, they will recuperate a little bit slower or everybody's expecting them to recuperate a little bit slower. So when you're looking to buy hotels like we're buying right now, we're finding a lot larger discounts in the big boxes uh, than what you would find in a resort or something like that. So the vaccination is definitely having a, a huge impact and the outlook is a lot better. And actually, to tell the truth, I'm looking forward to the second half of this year uh, where we're already seeing the pickup on the, on the reservation space and we're starting to see small groups starting to reserve. Actually, yesterday, it was the first time I went to a live meeting about, you know, with hoteliers, it were, you know, a conference. Oh, wow. I mean, that was a huge change from, you know, I haven't been to one of these meetings uh, in over a year. And now that I've been vaccinated, I feel a lot better about being able to uh, attend these meetings. So I think a lot of people are feeling the same way. I think a lot of people having what, what I call the cabin fever effect. And, uh, you know, they're tired of, of, of hunkering down and staying at home and, and, and they're eager to go out. So as everybody starts feeling better with the vaccinations and as we hit uh, herd immunity, I think, um, you know, things bode very well for the hotel industry in the near term. Is there any sense when that group and convention business, like what, what it, it makes sense that it's going to be a little bit slower, but do you, people have a, have a feel for when they think that that might kind of start kicking in again? Well, I can tell you what we are internally as a group in our company, when we underwrite to buy these hotels, what I can tell you is what we're doing. We are expecting things to get back to normal or we're projecting them to get back to normal in late 2023, early 2024. Late 2023. Wow, okay. yeah, early 2024. That's what we're underwriting. Now, that's not to say that we have the right crystal ball. We may be wrong, but that's what we're projecting. But again, a few months ago, I was being a, a lot more pessimistic than now. Uh, and I could be wrong. It could be, you know, improving faster. Now, some people say that with Zoom and with people working uh, from home, that maybe some business travel won't return uh, and that there will be some impact. I have a different opinion. And uh, I personally believe that given time, people will go back to the way we're doing business. Maybe not 100%. But whatever business we lose from, you know, Zoom meetings and things like that, I am sure will be replaced with other types of business. Yeah. I mean, I have a, for individual meetings, you know, if you're just doing a one-on-one, -on -one, maybe it doesn't make sense to fly across the country. But if you have more than one meeting or if you, or, you know, if you were planning to go to a market and visit a bunch of people, that's, there's still pretty good reason to do that when it's safe. And then also, I feel like on the group and convention side, yeah, you know, we've had a year webinars and all sorts of online conference experiences, but I don't think it's, it's not the same. It's not it's the same. Like, yeah. You know, we're social beings. We're social beings and human beings. And, and think of it this way from a business perspective. If you're a vendor trying to sell to a client a product or trying to sell them a service, who is the client going to pick? The person that goes the extra mile and meet him in person and take him out to dinner and create that social connection? or the guy calling you over the phone and chatting to you over the phone. At the end of the day, you know, competition to 
get the accounts, to get the business is going to drive people to get back on the road. I mean, right. at the end of the day, it's all about the personal touch and the, uh, and the personal service, personalized service and the contact and the warmth of becoming, you know, b- building on the relationship. Zoom does a lot, but it, 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 it cannot replace the, the, the human touch, you know, the, the in-person meeting. So, so yes, there might be some effect to that that lingers, but I am sure that will be replaced by other types of businesses. I remember when the internet first came out, everybody was saying, oh, you know, this is the doom of, of business travel. And, and, you know, it was quite the contrary. If anything, it helped increase the amount of connectivity and, and helped increase the amount of need for, for business travel. So Zoom is a great service, and I am sure it will take care of some of the needs that, that we used to take by, uh, care of by traveling. But I, I really don't believe that it's going to hurt us in the long run in the hospitality industry. I do believe that whatever it, you know slows down as a result will be picked up in other business areas. I just you know from my perspective, I've covered this commercial real estate for for about twenty years, and I just feel like over and over again, it, it's really hard to predict the big changes. And I think that like all of this, a lot of the stuff that's in the past year about like things, this so-and-so has changed forever, always felt too premature. And even now you're seeing it on the office side where even again, a couple months ago, all these companies are like, we're going to work from home forever. And, or like, we're not bringing people back um, for at least a year or till the summer. And suddenly like Google, Amazon, you know, a number of others, yeah. Like even in the past couple of days, we're like, no, we're bringing people back like as soon as we can. That's not to say that there won't be some modifications to the office environment, because frankly, I think like the whole everyone doing open offices also didn't really work that great for everybody. But um, the whole office is dead. The whole cities are dead kind of thing. I just I think it's very hard to generalize when you're in the middle of a moment, especially when you don't really know what the end game is going to be. So, and also like things were are away for a reason. We like things certain ways. We, like you said, we're social people. So I think trying to, and I guess it's like also how people, you know, that's how people succeed in this business is like being able to like really tell what are going to be actual changes and what are, what's overreaction. And then how do you develop your business thesis, you know, to, to be correct. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I mean, we've learned from this and, and we've adapted. For example, the, the Western project that I mentioned, the $335 million project in Cocoa Beach, which we're very excited for and, and that we hope to build, uh, we're going to be breaking ground at the end of this year on. We've modified some of the design as a result of the lessons learned in the pandemic, but we're still building a, a conference center there. We're still building a conference center because we still believe that there's going to be a big demand uh, for conferences, especially in an area of the coast where, you know, with the space race on Cape Canaveral, uh, there's going to be a huge need for conferences around everything to do with the space race. I mean, you're talking about them spending in the next uh, 10 years over a trillion dollars in the space race. There's definitely going to be groups uh, demanding high quality hotels. So we're still building the conference center there despite of the pandemic. Now, did we adapt and did we change the drawings and the design to improve them, taking into consideration lessons learned? For sure. But, you know, there's still going to be group demand. It's just a matter of when. 
So what kind of changes does that mean? Well, like for example, um, more uh, on the restaurant side, more open air seating, mm -hmm. for example, on the air conditioning and uh, air filtering uh, improvements uh, to make sure that the uh, quality of the air being you know, recycled through the building uh, is as best as possible. So, you know, little things like uh, we, we have a conference space, but we also have open air areas where we can have uh, meetings taking place. So it, it's a mix of things that we did, some changes to, to adapt to basically what we learned from the pandemic. Yeah. And I'm, I mean, that's the stuff that makes the most sense. I think, you know, based on what we learned, it's just like this air circulation, air quality, that's what's been the most important for, you know, getting, for being safe indoors going forward. So uh, it sounds like, you know, yeah, having outdoor options, having the, the, the kind of system that you need in place to make sure that the air is being filtered correctly. That's the kind of stuff that, that is the kind of stuff that, that they should be doing. Correct. Yes. At one point there was also some talk of, again, you know, we're talking about when, you know, when maybe pre-vaccine before the vaccine rollout or when it was starting slow, there was, and, and the outlook may have been a little more uncertain for when hotels would bounce back. There was also some of this talk of, oh, maybe some hotels will be converted into other property types. And I saw, like, I, I, don't, I don't remember if there were specific funds that, that were going to do that or if it was just more of a speculation. Is that something, like, does, does this changing overall climate account, uh, and outlook for the sector now change the, the thinking around that as well like well maybe we we don't need to take hotel supply off of the market because demand's going to come back and we don't and the idea of converting doesn't make sense anymore i mean in, in, there's definitely some of that that has taken place and is still taking place where they're looking to convert hotels into multifamily or into other uses i'm definitely seeing it even at this time actually there's a hotel that we own uh where we're getting unsolicited bids actually we have three unsolicited bids you know, we're not looking to sell it, but we're getting three different groups, uh, multifamily groups that are actually offering us, you know, a good price, a very good price on, on, on our property. Hmm. And it's basically to demolish a part of it and, and, uh, and also convert a, uh, another part of it into multifamily. So there is that taking place actually here in Miami, uh, near where I live, an old residence in was just bought. To become, you know, basically again converted into multifamily. So I'm definitely seeing that across the country, and especially in the older hotels, the ones that have basically have a used-up life cycle, where they basically maybe are exterior corridor and they don't, uh, they're not uh, up to the new brand standards of hotels because you know now hotels are all interior corridor. So. Any exterior corridor hotel is a, is a very good candidate for conversion or for demolishing and, and building multifamily. Yes, uh, that is definitely something that is taking place. I have seen it. I have received offers to convert some of our, our you know, at least one property of ours into multifamily. So that's still taking place. Now, having said that, obviously, as the numbers in the hotel industry recuperate and as things get better, obviously, people won't feel the need to sell at deep discounts and people will basically try to hold on and, and hopefully recuperate and start making some money. And therefore, you know, they may keep it as a hotel, but I will say to you that, yes, I'm definitely seeing some of what you're saying. 
across the whole country, in the entire country, I've been seeing it. Yes. Okay. Switching gears a little bit. I'm curious about, you know, you talk about, you've got funds, you've got, you've got investors. You mentioned earlier, as, as little as $50,000 as a minimum investment. What is your process right now for going out and meeting and raising money and being investors? How do you get in front of people? How do you navigate that? How do you report back to them? And is that process different right now versus, you know, what it would have been like previously? Well, the process, well, as to maintaining contact with the investors, that has changed a little bit because obviously pre-pandemic, we would have events uh, and we would travel to have uh, in-person meetings to with a groups of different and potential investors. And that has been substituted temporarily into Zoom meetings and webinars that we perform. But, you know, we're hoping to switch back again to being able to meet in person. Uh, like we had an annual investor conference where we had the CEOs of Marriott, of Hilton, of Margaritaville, of different entities come and speak to our investors. And last year we had to do it uh, via Zoom or via the internet uh, in order to be able to tend to all the needs of our investors. But we're hoping to go back to in-person as quickly as possible. The way we work it is, you know, we do have a whole investor relations team mm-hmm. that's basically there to answer any questions over that our investors may have. The interesting part is there's, there's a, I don't know if it was Warren Buffett or who said this before, but it's like you buy when everybody's selling and you sell when everybody's buying. <laughs> and, and right now, quite frankly, is an amazing time to be buying uh, hotels or be investing in hotels because of the distress. Right. And, and quite frankly, if you look at the, history of the hotel business of the industry over the years, the hotel industry is a very generous business. I mean, it really is. The returns that overall through time investors get are, are very good returns. Now, you need to put up with a little bit of the cyclicality of things and you right. need to put up with some of the you know downturns like the one we just experienced. But as long as you structure the deal the right way with the right amount of debt and the right amount of capital, and as long as you structure and do your underwriting and buy it right, then it's a very generous business. So um, we've been finding investors and, you know, as soon as they understand our business model, it's not been tough at all to get uh, people to commit and to join us. And you put your money alongside your investors, right? You always have some, a share of capital in every deal. Yes, actually, uh, we have a little bit of a different model from most people. We buy the deal ourselves 100%, and then we turn around and sell pieces, and then we retain 10% of the deal, and we retain the general partnership. But we always have skin in the game. We always Mm -hmm. own 10% of the deal, but we start by owning 100%. So if we don't get investors to buy the other 90%, we will end up owning the 100%. Now, to this day, we've always placed the 90%. We've never kept more than the 10%, but... This tells you the level of commitment that we have on a deal because we put our money where our mouth is. We basically say to the investor, look, if you're not willing to invest, don't worry. We own it already. And are the investors that you're talking with, are are we talking about like um, high net worth, family offices, uh, individual, institutional? Who who are are the kind of people that are are investing with you? Yeah, to this day uh, in the funds, we only have family offices and high net worth individuals because we raise the money 
uh, under the 506C rules of, uh, uh, from the SEC, you need to be an accredited investor to be able to invest with right. us. So right. you need to be a high net worth individual or, or, or a family office, but we do as little as 50,000. Now, in other side of our, our business, we do deal with institutional investors, but the funds and, you know, are basically to this day been focused on family offices and high net worth individuals, or I would say accredited investors. Well, it's a good space to be in. It seems like there's always there's so much interest in this family office space. We're trying to get a, a handle on it too. It's very hard to for us to understand what those investors are doing because they don't have to talk about what they're doing. They're very secretive, but I know that that capital is very interested in real estate. Something like 20%, some, I mean, some of them do love just doing all real estate, but I think in general, family offices have a pretty a healthy, at least a minority, usually have at least a minority stake of their portfolio devoted to real estate. So it seems like a really just great um, space to be in. There's a reason for it. I mean, the returns, for example, in our case, you know, if you buy, you know, uh, a hotel with us, you know, you're talking about returns of uh, north of 15% internal rate of return in the lending fund is you're talking about an IRR of 19%. I mean, if you buy a stock in the New York Stock Exchange, I mean, not, they, they just don't give you the returns that that that, that we give. Now, uh, obviously, there's not as much liquidity, and that's the price you pay for it. That the liquidity is a little bit less less liquidative investment, but the returns are there. That's what I said. The the industry is a very generous industry. Are, is there like a minimum amount of time that someone has to be in? Do you, do you, are they dated investments or funds, or is there just like a minimum hold period that people have? Well, in, in our case, I mean. We, we, what we tell people is we don't have a, a time frame to exit a, a deal. Mm-hmm. We sell when we, you know, we try to maximize the returns for our investors. So we don't have a set time frame. So when we buy a hotel, you know, basically the hotel, we may hold it in, in our portfolio anywhere between call it three to seven years. We'd say people expect average of five years. The loans that we make, if you buy into one of the loans that we make to somebody, Usually those are like three-year loans. So if you invest in one of our loans uh, that we made to somebody, again, you're talking about a two, three-year period. So in general, if you're doing a development with us, you're talking about five to 10-year hold. If you're doing an op zone, because we also do op zones, Mm -hmm. uh, which by the way, they're phenomenal instruments uh, to invest in because uh, you have zero capital gains uh, on the new project and you get to delay your capital gains on your previous capital gains for seven years. So I, I, the op zones basically are 10 year holds. So it depends on the type of product that you're investing with us. If it's a loan, you're talking about three years. If you're talking about acquisition of a hotel, call it three to seven years. If you're talking about an op zone development, you're talking about 10 years, a regular development, call it seven years. So it depends. It depends on the type of product that the investor is, is uh, interested in putting their money with or investing with us. I've taken up a good amount of your time now, so I'm just going to let you go in a second. But is there anything that I have not asked you about, um, you know, that important observations or or, or things that you would like to underscore that, that I, that I have not asked you about? Again, the the main thing, the main, the main takeaway is all, you know, all businesses, you know, especially in the hospitality business, you know, it's a cyclical business and it's a business that has its ups and downs. But as long as you have the staying power, it's a really generous, good business. And as long as you get in with the right group, with the right investment thesis and, and the right capital structure, 
uh, you know, you, you can do very, very well. Obviously, you don't put your eggs in all in one basket. You need to diversify. But I would definitely um, entice anybody to take a look at the hotel industry. And, um, and quite frankly, now's the time. Now's the time because the pandemic has created opportunities, opportunities that we haven't seen since uh, 2008 recession. Now it's a very good time to come in and, and take advantage of the situation. And especially now with the vaccination and the pandemic, uh, hopefully it, getting over it sometime soon, hopefully in the summer, I think that there's going to be a, a renewed, uh, you know, bigger amount of travel taking place because God knows, I mean, I have cabin fever. I mean, I used to live on, on a plane and I haven't gotten a plane in a long time. And I'm sure there's a lot of people like me. So I think we're in for good times. I don't know. I, I understand after the Spanish flu, there was the roaring 20s. Well, guess what? I think we're going to be in the roaring 20s again. Yeah, no, that'll be something going to be. I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward to traveling again. I haven't seen I haven't seen some of, I haven't seen my father in over a year because he's in North Carolina. I haven't seen, we haven't seen my wife's family in, in even longer because um, we hadn't seen them for a little bit before this all started. So we're, we're even just like, you know, getting on the road to see family. And then in addition to travel. So I know that we're, we are ready once it's uh, as it's becoming safe. Yep. Carlos, I want to thank you so much for being generous with your time, speaking of generosity, and uh, and walking us through and, and giving, you know, and answering all my questions. I really appreciated uh, you taking the time. Well, thank you for inviting me. It's been a true honor and pleasure. I really appreciate it. Gentlemen, this was a fantastic podcast. Uh, David, I am seeing a pattern, right? I mean, I'm, I'm seeing a pattern. The guests that you're bringing on from six months ago, eight months ago to today the feeling, the news, the the optimism is just getting higher and higher and higher. It seems like there's a lot more hope every time we get together. So I, I love the fact that Carlos brought up a lot of positive things that are going on, positive opportunities. Uh, so David, thank you so much for bringing him on the show. Absolutely, it's a it's a big relief that we're you know commercial real estate has taken some hits mm-hmm. um, over the past year and a lot of uncertainty. So it's nice that we're we're seeing we're seeing the upside take shape. Yeah, absolutely. Again, David, thank you so much for bringing Carlos on the show. Of course, Carlos, thank you for being here. And our last thank you goes to you, the listening audience. Thank you for tuning in and listening to the Common Area Podcast with David Bodemer. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when David comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your colleagues. Again, thanks for listening. For everyone at WMRE, this is Eric Johnson inviting you back in two weeks for all the stories that matter to you. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Common Area Podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of WMRE or Informa. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. Today's podcast was brought to you by Ryan. Liberating our clients from the burden of being overtaxed, freeing their capital to invest, grow, and thrive.